Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this 120th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include MMA fighter Nick Newell. We'll be talking about the new movie Notorious Nick, which is available in theaters and on demand. We'll also visit with comedian, actor, and podcaster Jeff Richards. We'll talk about his podcast, The Jeff Richards Show, plus some new music and a lot more. We'll also visit with author and podcaster Sarah Bragg. You know her from the podcast Surviving Sarah? She's got a new book we'll be talking about, A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, comment, leave some feedback, check out the shop, and share with your friends. Now, does this sound good or disgusting and unnecessary? Well, tomorrow is National Mustard Day, so the makers of French's Mustard just unveiled mustard-flavored hot dog buns. Now, they actually baked real mustard into the bread. Now, unfortunately, it'll be hard to get your hands on them, and they won't be in grocery stores. At least, not until they're a huge hit. But they posted a recipe online if you want to try making them yourself. A few hot dog carts and stands will have them tomorrow in New York, Chicago, and Santa Monica, California. They'll also be available at Yankee Stadium and Camden Yards in Baltimore and outside Fenway Park next weekend. We've been talking this movie about, or this week, about the new movie Notorious Nick that is available now. We've got uh, the MMA great Nick Newell himself with us today. And first off, Nick, I appreciate you taking some time to be on the show. Thank you. Thanks for thank you for having me. I uh, I appreciate being on the show. <laughs> now, now, Nick, tell us how the idea, the the process of the movie came about, and what were your initial reactions to the idea, if you will. I just got uh, reached somehow, I think like maybe like email or uh, on social media somehow. Hey, we want to make a movie about you. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was a I thought it was a joke. And uh, so I sent it over to my my management team and they're like, no, this these guys are legit. Like they've been in like a lot of good big projects with some stars. And uh, this guy even made Bloodsport and Kickboxer. And I was like, oh, geez, those are like two of my favorite movies. So uh, we started talking and, and we figured out something that works. And we made this we made this movie happen. And Nick, you've seen the cast and the representation that they did. What was your initial reaction to seeing it on the screen as well? I thought they I thought they did a great job. Um, you know, they they really did their part and and captured my life uh, in a good way. And everyone that played anyone did a fantastic job. And for you to see the movie coming about, what was it like whenever you had to sit down and rehash some memories? What was maybe the moment that really stuck out that you were like, we've got something really special now? Uh, I just watched it, you know, (laughs) and I was like, it started off and I was like, okay, okay. Like, this is really good. And uh, it just kept getting better and better and better. And there were no moments where I thought the movie was lacking or boring or was like, a uh, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? It was one thing after another, pure entertainment for, for the entire movie. 
And Nick, a lot of folks know of the story and you've never used your limitations as an excuse for anything. And I think that's what a lot of folks are going to pull from this movie is that we all face challenges. And for you, Nick, what was it that inner strength that kept you going? Yeah, I just was doing something that I enjoyed. I think that's the main thing is that I enjoy martial arts and I enjoy competition and and, uh, you know, if you're going to be somewhere and you're going to do something, you might as well be the best or at least the best version of yourself. And that's been my attitude. That's, that's kind of guided me and led me to my success. And to see the feedback from the folks that have had the chance to see the pre-release and, and to get that feedback, what does that mean to you on a personal level to know that the story of your life is making a difference and, and having an impact on the viewers as well? Yeah, it's it's really cool that um, I get to share my story with with people and, and provide some people some inspiration and, and uh, kind of give back, I guess, a little bit. Over this last year, Nick, just like everybody else, we've all had to kind of adjust and change things up. We've spent a lot of time alone as well. What was maybe one of the things that you've learned most about yourself in that time? For me, nothing, nothing really changed. Um, you know, I, uh, I actually, yeah, I had to close on my business for a couple months, which financially was annoying, but we made it through and, and I got to spend more time with my family and, and, uh, you know, it was, it actually wasn't a bad time, you know, and I still, I still trained every day. I had a partner that we both like did our little quarantine thing and, and we would get together and, and train every day. So it's, um, it wasn't too bad, you know, <laughs> How has this last year in having to do things different maybe changed your outlook as things are opening up now? Yeah, I mean, I'm I still like kind of just do things the way. Obviously, I, you change every day and you grow every day, but I do I still do what needs to be done to to get the job done and, and um, learning and growing every single day. That's good stuff. And again, the new movie, Notorious Nick, is available. And Nick, I always want to make sure and let our listeners know not only about the film, but where they can find uh, everything you've got going social media-wise as well, sir. Okay, so you can get the movie anywhere you rent or buy movies. So online on any of those uh, the apps. It's in theaters, so check your local listings. And uh, follow me at Notorious Newell on either Twitter or Instagram. And I, uh, I have some good stuff. I post, uh, you know, I post good content. People like my memes. So, <laughs> from my life, I'm known, I'm known as, as quite, the, quite the meme guy. That's good. Well, Nick, again, thank you so much for your time, sir. I'm looking forward to checking out the movie this weekend as well. And hopefully we can catch up again real soon. Yeah, thank you. Do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes, located at 313 Falcon Road in Altus. If you ever have a question or something you'd like to know, give them a call at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. They've always got the latest hardware, the largest selection of disposable flavors in Southwest Oklahoma, plus don't miss out on Wacky Wednesdays. That's at Smiley's Breezy Vapes, 313 Falcon Road in Altus. Now, we've all heard the phrase dog days of summer, but what exactly are they? 
Well, here's a quick rundown. Number one, the name comes from the star Sirius. Sirius is the brightest star in the night sky, and it's known as the Dog Star. The term Dog Days comes from ancient Greek and Roman civilizations who believe Sirius's bright light radiated extra heat toward Earth, making summer days hotter. Second, there's been some debate about the exact time frame, but according to the Old Farmer's Almanac, the dog days of summer last from July 3rd to August 11th, so we've got about another week left. Third, an old proverb claims rainy during dog days of summer is bad luck. Now, the thought among farmers was that a dry growing season in summer was better than a wet one. And finally, you might be at a greater risk of certain infections. The same way that winter is known as flu season, a study in Maryland found that the dog days of summer might be bacterial infection season. And another study in Finland found that the risk of an infection after a surgery was two times higher during the dog days of summer than at other times. Our next guest on the show, member, uh, former member of Saturday Night Live and Mad TV as well, got uh, a podcast, got some music, a little bit of everything to talk about today with Jeff Richards. And first off, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking some time to be on the show. Oh, thank you, Cameron. You know, it's um, it's been quite the morning. I uh, woke up <laughs> and instead of using my shower as a bathtub, I used it as a shower this time. And, uh, <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. How you doing, buddy? I am good. I am well. And, uh, you know, the, the podcast, this, I, I love the podcast. I love the whole premise behind it. And when did you come up with uh, the idea of the stand in, if you will? Um, a while ago, a few years ago. Um, and I didn't know if I could do it because, you know, the whole thing is improv and I didn't know how long I could stay in character for. So I didn't know if I could do it. And then the other thing was before we were doing the zoom stuff all the time with the pandemic, you know, I didn't know how I'd pull it off if it wasn't just audio, because you just see me every time it's me every time, you know? <laughs> right. So, um, so the things came together with, you know, Zoom, you know, being more popular. And then then the deep fake thing, I just kind of done that for the first time not that long ago. And so just the the, the combination of those things uh, kind of led to it. Now, where did you first start working on voices and impersonations? When did that start? Is that something that you've always done, making noises and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah, just mimicking um, people and like my, my uncle and, uh, you know, teachers and, and then, uh, early ones were Letterman, you know, like David Letterman. Nice to see it. Good to have you here again. I don't know. I don't know the particular ins and outs, <laughs> uh, you know, um, and different ones like that. And then, uh, yeah, I just kept doing them and, uh, was a hobby for a long time until I started doing stand up. Mm -hmm. Now, how did stand up? You also talk about doing improv type work. How did that kind of get you all set up for SNL, Mad TV, and everything you've been working on ever since then? Well, I, I think it's that kind of thing where just things kind of fall fall into place a little bit. I mean, I wasn't really trained to be on SNL. I could do impressions, but I didn't have much acting training. I didn't I didn't really do any of the improv schools. I did a little bit of the groundlings, but not much. And um, so I kind of had to learn while I was there. Um, so 
So, yeah, but, but just doing impressions all through the years and learning new ones and, and all that prepared me for the, 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 the podcast because, because with friends, I would always be like, you know, they'd say, do this impression. And then I would do it and talk to them in that impression, you know, and have a dialogue. So it was like, there was inklings of it early. And then I just had to just do it, you know? So the first one I did on camera was with Jamie Kennedy and, uh, it was exhilarating because it's like, you don't want to make a mistake. You know, you want it to be one take, you know, you don't want to drop out. So, but it it went well and, and, uh, we just kept doing them. So this last year, when did the podcast come of, of an idea for you? Was that something pandemic or was it pre pandemic that, uh, the inspiration? Well, like I said, it was sort of pre pandemic, the idea of having, but originally it was, I was going to do it as the impression uh, was going to going to um, be interviewed by the guest host. And then I just kind of switched it at the end because I realized not every guest is one is going to want to host. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, that's kind of what happened. And, you know, just the idea of the show is, you know, Jeff Richard show and I'm never there. Somehow I'm never there each week. <laughs> so we have a guest host and th- that's, yeah, that's the basics of it. Yeah. Which of the guest hosts that you've been playing has been the most difficult for you to stay in character? I think Patrick Bateman from American Psycho, which we were just talking before the air. I had Cato Kalen will be next week. Cato Kalen and Patrick Bateman. Because um, it's kind of subtle and it's a little quiet. You know, it's like, it's like this. Nice to see him. <laughs> you know, um, and it, it's sort of. You know, if like the guest is bouncing around too much, it's it's hard to compete with, you know. But I talked to Kata before. I said, just play it real, you know, have fun, just play it real so that I can have uh, moments, you know. <laughs> now, where did, when did music for you, when did you bring a part of that uh, all in? Was, was music for you maybe about the same time you were doing impressions at a young age as well? I'd always thought about... Uh, fantasize about being on stage uh singing and stuff like that and i i think i i don't know how early on but i'm sure i did like most people you know um come up with your own lyrics to songs you know and just start singing your own lyrics so that's sort of like um the, the early early but but not until i met uh, a few different guys uh, ben seward arlo sanders and uh daniel white and they they basically just gave me the music, and I just wrote lyrics to it and sang. Um, so EDM, it's like '80s, kind of like Pet Shop Boys kind of thing, you know. So where did you come up with the alternate personality, if you will? Well, it's 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 a it's a it's a little bit of like you know Morrissey. It's a little bit of Morrissey. It's a little bit of Morrissey and Neil Tennant from Pet Shop Boys. So like he talks like this and it's very nice and it's good, but it doesn't feel right, you know, because I think song is texture and song is absolute and song is uh, viral and song is whatever you want it to be. So he's got a bit of that sense of humor, was like sarcasm, but then Neil Tennant's like Los Angeles, you know, that's, I'll do that. Los Angeles. I miss you. You know, just put them all together. Now, this last year, inspiration-wise, has did did this last year make it harder on writing for you, or did it maybe make it harder to edit because of all of the emotions everybody's feeling? 
That's uh, it's a good question. I think it was sort of out of desperation, you know, because all stand up uh, ended there for a second, you know, um, and it's still tough to come back. And there are many clubs that are out of business now. But for me, I think it was like, well, what else can I do? And I had this idea before. And then I just went on a Zoom show. Uh, Jason Hour was producing and he said, you know, what do you think of this? Do you like this format? And I said, let's, I have this other idea. Let's do this other idea. So it, it was just, it kind of came out of not knowing what, what was going to be next performance wise. So it's like the one thing you could do, like sit down and write a book. You can sit down and write a book, right? Like, like you pen and paper and a room and you can write a book. So right. it's like kind of like that thing. What can I do on my own? So, yeah. Has the technology, have you had to catch up with technology this last year or has technology always yeah. been something you've been comfy with? No, I, I, I hate it. I, I mess up all the time. And I, you know, I have it muted and then I, it just like when we started, I didn't know it was you that did it, but it just as easily could have been me. Um, no, I don't like it very much. It slows, slows things down. I don't even like writing with a type with a computer because it, I can't type as fast, you know? Um, but for some reason I can, can do the, uh, the phone quicker than I can type. How about, are you, how are you on that? I, I swipe. I don't, I, my thumbs are too big to hit the buttons. So yeah, I do the, I use the swipe on the, on the oh. text. Yeah. It's way faster than the typing. Yeah. Wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 my thumbs are just, you know, every time it's FIR, never four, it's FIR, FIR. It's... Yeah. I have never once in my life, I don't think ever put typed fur to anybody, but yeah, I, I get that as autocorrect all the time. Yeah, it's happening. Now it's happening you, more and more. You talked yeah. about Cato uh, coming up next week. I know you've also had John Lovitz and Dr. Phil. That's the one that uh, really got me was uh, how cool is that bouncing things and ideas off of folks like John and, and, and others that you've known for, for as long as you have. Oh, it's just, it's just the greatest. It's the best part. It's the best part. Getting uh, awesome guests, some of which I knew and some of which Andy got and different, different people uh, that like, like Lovitz came on again. He the second, this is the second time on. So he was, uh, you know, we, we kind of made it so that, you know, we kind of fight each other a little bit, go at each other. And um, one time he was like, I was, I was trying to get him, give him cabbage juice to help him clear him out. And I'm like, hey, you need some cabbage juice, John. I'm going to send you a box. And he goes, a box, a box. <laughs> I don't want to blow up my, my microphone, but yeah, it, it's just the greatest. I, it, it's so fun. The guests make, make the show all worthwhile. Now, have you, have you had any feedback from the folks that you've been portraying as well? A little bit. Uh, Louis Anderson, who I knew before, um, he likes it, trying to get him on the show. Not not too many people, though. I mean, uh, let me think of who the people I've done. Um, yeah, not too many have I heard back from. Um, like, I know someone is giving uh, the video of Dr. Phil and Lovitz to Dr. Phil's people or, or whatever. So maybe they see it. Maybe they see it and they you know, don't react. So you wouldn't know if they actually saw it or not. Like I know Jimmy Fallon. I can't imagine he didn't see a, a little bit of it. Oh, wow. So cool. I, I just found a, I found a paperclip, you know? You know what a paperclip is, you know? Twisted piece of metal, you know? It's a 
That's the most amazing thing in the world, you know? <laughs> I mean, somebody must have shown him that. It's fun, you know? I'm just, I'm just taking, you know, a little air out of everybody. Nothing much, you know? Just, it's, they're pretty flattering impressions, I think. They're not like, I'm not going for the jugular. Are there, are there any that you would? No, I don't think so. Because uh, I like it to be as real as it can, you know? I want it to be as close to the person as it can. And then just make what they say kind of crazy, but nothing, 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 you know, keep the impression as clean as you can without, you know, too much, you know, because you, I, I think if you mess that too up, up too much, you forget where you're starting from, you know. The podcast is the Jeff Richards show, the uh, ditto kiddo had a self title album got another album uh is it in the pipeline now or has it already been released oh yeah it came out a couple weeks ago it's called uh people you know uh ditto kiddo uh yeah and uh, we play those songs on the show and and then meanest man contest is on the show a lot and uh yeah the little music you know a song at the end of the show and if if folks want to check out the 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 ditto kiddo on spotify is that the best place to keep up with that Anywhere, anywhere you can find it. Just Ditto Kiddo, D-I-T-T-O-K-I-D-D-O as the artist. Yeah, anywhere pretty much. Yeah. The Jeff Richards Show, where's the the best place? Is there a a home website or just uh, anywhere you get your podcasts? Yeah, thejeffrichardshow.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's out there. Well, Jeff, I truly appreciate you taking some time today, brother. I yeah. I, I love the impressions, love the work that you're doing, and uh, been watching you for quite a while, and it's a, it's a privilege to have you stop by today. Well, thank you very much, and I was glad to be here. Thank you. Cool. Do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes, located at 313 Falcon Road in Altus. If you ever have a question or something you'd like to know, give them a call at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. They've always got the latest hardware, the largest selection of disposable flavors in Southwest Oklahoma, plus don't miss out on Wacky Wednesdays. That's at Smiley's Breezy Vapes, 313 Falcon Road in Altus. The U.S. Olympic team includes 613 of the most finely tuned athletes in the world. But over a third of Americans are like, eh, I could do that. Now, 40% of us think that we could hold our own in at least one event at the Summer or Winter Olympics. And we're not just talking about air rifle and curling. A lot of us think we could compete in the more physical events, too. Basketball, soccer, and swimming were all popular choices. Although a quick reality check, folks, 74% of adults in the U.S. are either obese or overweight. Now, men were a lot more likely to say that they could hold their own at the Olympics, 60% compared to 22% of women. Now, let me know when they add competitive channel flipping, and I'm in. Now, the poll also asked people which events should be added to the Summer Olympics. The top answers were MMA, lacrosse, bowling, cricket, and competitive cheerleading. And there actually is a chance that cheerleading could be added in 2028. A podcaster, also an author. We're going to talk about 
moms needing to take a smoke break. Uh, Mother's Guide to (laughs) Raising Herself. We've got Sarah Bragg with us today. And uh, first off, Sarah, I appreciate you taking some time to be on. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. I can already tell this is going to be fun. Now, Sarah, the the smoke break idea. Where did where uh, th- that's the one that kind of grabs folks. So, uh, where, where did right? that idea first first materialize for you? Oh my goodness! Well, I feel like it goes back to you with pop culture. I've always thought about if there's a mom that I resonate most with in pop culture, or that maybe I want to identify with, it's the Mad Men mom, right? Betty Draper. Like she just seems like she is so carefree. Like she just doesn't know where her kids are. She doesn't seem (laughs) ruffled by anything they're doing, you know, and she's kind of walking around with a cigarette in her mouth and a shotgun in the other hand, like, you know what I mean? Like just craziness. (laughs) And so I kept thinking, how can I embody? Like, obviously I I don't endorse smoking um, for health reasons. And so I'm like, you know, how can I embody that idea of what she is, where she just is like, nothing is ruffling her. I just feel like I'm a, I'm a, usually a ruffled feathers kind of mom. <laughs> and, um, and so as I thought about it and I started, you know, I had, when my girls were younger and helping them with like emotions and I kept reading about all the st- science behind breathing and how you got to like take a break, you got to take a deep breath in and out. And you know what? I just am a breath holder. I hold it all the time. Like, I don't know what that is, but if I am stressed or if I am anxious, I'm holding my breath, like working out, like I've been working out um, and my trainer keeps going, you got to breathe. And I'm like, I don't breathe. I hold my breath. This is what I'm doing. Um, And so I kind of combined those two things because I kept thinking, man, people that I've worked with in the past would always take a smoke break and they just like drop what they were doing at like 10 a.m., go walk out, have a 10 minute, you know, break and breathe in, breathe out and come back in seeming like they were refreshed. And I was like, I feel like that's kind of what I need to do in motherhood when I am overwhelmed, when I'm stressed out, like I just need to get outside and take some deep breaths. Even if it's just 10 minutes, I just need to get out. And basically I started calling that my smoke break. Like if my girls were, you know, going crazy in the house, I I would walk out and they would know mom's on a smoke break. She's not actually smoking. She just is (laughs) out breathing and walking and trying to just bring the ability for my brain to process what is happening, bringing that science into it and just coming back to a logical thinking brain during that time. And how hard is it though, sometimes when you get in those frustrated times to actually take a moment and, uh, and take care of self, because I know that's what we've all been taught is that you're there to take care of everybody else, but who takes care of mom, right? Right. Oh, it's so hard. And if you are anything like me, I sometimes just want to fight back. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you've been, someone's coming at you and you're like, oh, I'll show you. Like you, I see you're crazy and I'm going to raise it even more. Um, and so I have a tendency to want to do that. So it's not easy to take, especially in the heat of the moment, to walk away and give it a beat. You know, I don't know if you've heard, you know, in your years of existence that you're, you know, don't go to sleep on your anger or you got to f- resolve it right there. And, and sometimes I think we just need to take a beat. And we need to be able to step away and then we can come back to it and talk about whatever was happening in a more logical and reasonable way, not in a high emotion way. And so that's just not easy in the, in the heat of the moment. Now, I I know that smoke break is not the main crux of the book, Um, a mother's guide (laughs) to raising herself. And when did this book first, uh, when did you first start working on this? And I'm sure you probably didn't even know it was going to be a book at the time, right? Right. No, completely. You know, I feel like the book is very much like a midlife journey. 
You know, like, I mean, it's so cliche sometimes when you think I turned 40 and I learned all these things um, or I stopped caring about all these things. <laughs> right. But I really feel like um, I had been learning all of this stuff. And at 40, I, I, I'm 43 now, but when I was turning 40, it was just really kind of all coming together. And I was looking back and going, oh man, I had been working on a lot of things to become my better version of myself, to become my more authentic self, to be more courageous in what I'm doing. And, um, and it was really at that time that I started writing a few years ago and just putting all those thoughts down. And, and when I look back, that common thread was raising my kids, because a lot of these things that I was learning and growing in myself, or were things that I was trying to teach my girls. They were things that, you know, that I was teaching them about being kind to themselves when they make mistakes, when they fail. And I don't like to fail. And so I realized if I'm talking to them about the better way to see failure, I got to start seeing failure in the same way. Right. And so there were so many things over and over again that I just felt like as I was raising them, I realized, oh, it's really more about raising myself. It's really about, you know, there's no formula to parenting. This is not a how to parent book at all. This is just a book of going, this was the greatest catalyst of growth for me. And here's what I've learned about becoming my better self by raising these kids. Now, why is it we don't get a handbook as becoming new parents to, to right. really have an idea of how much of a difference that is going to make in our lives? Not only what we're going to do externally, but uh, but timing. I mean, there's just so many things. Oh, man, don't you wish they did that? I don't think any of us would actually do it if we knew <laughs> what was going to happen. I can remember us getting, I was only like two months pregnant with the, my first. And and I remember something happened with my three-year-old niece at the time. I remember looking going, oh my gosh, this is too late to turn back. Is this what like raising toddlers is going to be like? I had no idea. Like my baby dolls that I raised as a little girl, like they never fought back. <laughs> they never cried. They never threw anything, you know. Um, and so I just don't know that we would, none of us would do it if we knew what it was really like. But at the same time, you know, I always used to get angry at people when they would say, oh, parenting is such a gift. Like children are such a gift. And I was like, um, gifts are usually pleasant and they make, <laughs> you know, like they make my life easier. Um, and that is not what children are for me. But then when I looked back, like at, in, when I was writing this book even, and I go, gosh, well, if children are a gift, because look who I've become, like they are the reason that I have become a better version of myself. And for that reason, yes, they are a gift. But um, I do wish there was a formula. I, I, I just haven't found it. What is it about midlife? We seem to, it seems like a lot of things, you know, you get those light bulb moments a whole lot. I wish I would have gotten a whole lot more of them before I hit 40. <laughs> I, know. I know. What is it? I keep wondering that. I think sometimes like for me, I know I just got tired, you know, like you, like I had been, you know, performing a certain way or striving towards certain accomplishments and, and goals and hoping that they were going to give me a certain, you know, feeling of right. uh, worth, maybe of value. And I just remember getting to a point where I was like, I'm just tired. Like I, I want the world and the, especially the people around me closest to me to get to see the real me. I want to enjoy the life that I have because this is it. Like I, I don't want right. to waste it striving for something else. I think there's just something that clicks when we are in that midlife stage that goes, we're tired of pretending we're tired of striving. So let's figure out how to be <laughs> who we are and enjoy where we are that there is just something magical in that midlife with that. Now for you, the writing process, how long was the actual write and how much do you appreciate a good editor as opposed to a podcast editor or which <laughs> one's maybe easier to deal with? 
Yes. Well, you know, the writing process for me with this book. um, So I signed the contract the beginning of 2020 and I had these beautiful visions in my mind of what it would be like to write. I thought, oh, my kids will go to school (laughs) and I'll just write during the day and I'll just have time think on many things and, you know, ponder. And then the shutdown happened. Like literally I had been writing for maybe a month on the book. And so here they are now I'm homeschooling the kids at home and trying to write a book and trying to do my my job, you know, (laughs) other paid things. And it was just, it was not an easy process. Um, and it just, but you know, one of the chapters is in the book that says you can do hard things. And cause I don't like to do hard things like hard things, slow me down. I want to like get through something fast. I want to be efficient. And, um, and the, and that pandemic and writing this book really slowed me down, but it was such a good lesson of being reminded that you can do hard things. Um, and I loved the editing process. Um, I've been a content editor for years as well. And there's something that I, I'm so thankful for that past um, for writing this book because I knew that if an editor got a hold of it, it was only going to make it better, right? Like I get excited about the collaboration that comes when you're working with a team whose who's end goal is to provide a really great product, really great content that's helpful. And so I, I welcomed it. Like, I was like, make that paper bleed. Like, I don't care. Like, let's make it better. So definitely having a good editor goes a long way, especially if you're anything like me, I write like I speak. And so I could use a good editor here and there for sure. (laughs) What's it like to see the completed work in print? What was that Mm -hmm. like for you to see it the first time? Yeah, that was pretty special. That was, that was pretty special to hold it. And, um, and I think one of the things that I loved too about this book was my girls, you know, my girls are both 11 and 13. And so they got to hold the book and, you know, it was dedicated to them. And, um, and I loved watching them flip through the book and read a couple of stories that I tell. And they were like chuckling cause they knew that story was about their sister, you know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And so that was really special to hold that, in my hands and to look at the words and go, gosh, these are good. And not out of a sense of like, you know, Oh, I'm just the best, but a sense of like, Oh, this is so vulnerable and true and honest. And I'm so glad that I showed up in that way for the reader. Now for you, Sarah, how has the pandemic maybe opened your eyes to different techniques? I mean, obviously we're doing zoom today. We've uh, had to learn so many different ways to do things. How has uh, maybe the pandemic and those shortcomings we've had in that time, how has that maybe opened your eyes to other ideas as well? Golly, you know, I feel like the best word to describe 2020 in a one is pivot. Like we all had to figure out how to pivot. Um, I think it's, 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 and that's been welcomed because I think so much of us, you know, we, and I, again, I, I like easy. I like, it just keeps me moving. Um, but we can get stuck into a sort of machine and how we operate. And so I think that the beauty of the pandemic showed us that you can pivot, that change is good. And there's so much good that comes from it. For instance, we never thought we would leave Atlanta. We had been in Atlanta for so long, loved Atlanta. We're huge Atlanta Braves fans. Like we were 10 minutes from the stadium. In fact, we had season tickets for the first time in 2020 and never got to go to a single game. (laughs) And so, um, but 2020 flipped everything around and we ended up pivoting and moving to Tennessee. We moved next to my, next to my parents' farm and 
it was one of those things where you're going, gosh, we have to be okay with pivoting and being okay with change because a lot of good can come when we step out of the machine that we're kind of operating in and think about things from a new way, flip the script, see it from a different perspective and try something new. And I think that whether that's in your professional career, um, I think a lot of people made professional changes in 2020 or in just in family changes. I think when we can, that's one of the greatest things we can take away is, is the art of pivoting that a lot of good can come from that. And I think 2020 for sure taught us that. Now was, was your 40, was it after 40 before you started hearing those things that mom and dad used to tell you growing up or were you starting to hear those things before you hit 40? Yeah, I think they were leading up to 40 for sure. You know, just having kids, definitely for me, I think that happens in, gosh, I mean, anything, even if you don't have kids, there's something that comes up in your life and you're going, and you start hearing yourself and you go, oh, like I, this is what I was told all along, or it's coming out in me what I was told all along. And now I'm wondering about that. But um, it for sure was in those years leading up from in my thirties of just, I would hear something that I would say, or I would think back to what um, I would hear growing up, whether that was um, parents, teachers, you know, different kinds of faith organizations or anything like that and going, huh, like, does that resonate true to who I am? Like for many years, I think all of us operate kind of on autopilot and going, well, yeah, I was told that. And we forget that we are our own person and that we can question and think and be curious about what we think or what we believe or any of those things that maybe we were told growing up. Um, and, and then, question it and see, does this still hold true based on my life experience and where I am and the wisdom that I've learned that I've acquired. Um, and so I, I do think that the thirties and it was just cause raising kids was so hard for me. I mean, it still is hard, um, <laughs> but that was what was really pushing those buttons to make me think about all of those things. One of the points I love from the book, uh, the stop bubble wrapping your kids. And and mm. this is we, my wife and I, we have one that's 16 and yeah, we, we bubble wrap and are so scared to let her live. <laughs> what, what is the biggest thing from that, that, that you have learned? Oh, it's just so, so hard to not bubble wrap them. Right. I mean, cause we don't want them to face any hardship. We don't want them to be sad. We don't want them to have heartbreak. Like it's just scary. There's so many scary things, but it helps me when I picture my kids as let's say a 30 year old, when I picture them way out, that helps me to keep the end in mind. And it helps me to kind of not bubble wrap because I know that when I think back, like my daughter, who's 13, I can easily picture myself as a 13 year old. What was I thinking? What was I doing? What was hard? What was good? How did I live life? I would think about those things and go, she has to have the opportunity to do the same thing because the hard things that I walked through are the things that shaped me to who I am. Those are the parts of our story. You, you, any movie you watch, any story you read, right? The, the, the protagonist has to face something hard and they have to figure out how to get through it to the other side. That's what makes a story worth listening or watching. And and, and so when I think about that for my kids, it does help me. It doesn't make it any easier. You know, we still don't like to watch them hurt, but it does help me to keep that end in mind because these are the things that will shape their story and will hopefully help them become better humans through that. And so I constantly have to, you know, bump up against my own fears. Um, I often think about like if fear wants to drive the car, fear is the one trying to 
drive what you're thinking and your decisions being based on fear. And I don't want to make decisions based on fears, but I want to recognize that fear is valid, you know? And so it's the same things I would tell my daughters. And I say, it's, it's normal to be afraid by this. Well, pay attention to that fear. Why do you feel afraid? Is it, you know, are you going to walk into school and literally like your world's going to end? Or are you just feeling a little bit nervous because you don't know your new schedule yet? Like learning to pay attention to fear and then telling it to sit in the back seat when it needs to sit in the back seat and not drive the car. Um, that's, that's, that's not easy for us parents to do for sure. <laughs> now, how much has social media kind of muddied the waters of, uh, of parenting as well. And, and how hard oh is it goodness. sometimes to, sometimes you need to take a smoke break from socials as well. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I think I'm going to take you up on that. Um, social media is so hard because we're looking at everyone's highlight reel. Everyone's putting their best foot forward. Um, everyone's, you know, showcasing all the things they've done. And most of the time I feel like I didn't even take the pictures of the event that I went to. So I didn't even have anything to post. It didn't even cross my mind to, to think that way. And so we can immediately, immediately start to feel like, well, I guess a good parent would have like posted about it online, made sure everybody knew, you know, my partner's birthday was today, like all these things. We can just start to feel like that's what makes a good parent, a good partner, a good friend. And it definitely muddies the water. And I think those are the times where we have to take a step back and go, why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing on here? What am I trying to get from it? Um, and, and it definitely has helped me to, you know, be guarded about, you know, my, my girls are not on social media. They don't have phones yet. And it's definitely made me be way more cautious from them because I'm going, I'm 43 and I'm having a hard time handling this. Then, you know, they're not even a fully developed brain yet. <laughs> like at least mine is fully formed and I'm having a hard time, but they haven't. <laughs> so, um, we, you know, it's helped me to be very cautious with them as well. Sarah, if, if folks want to find more information about the book, the socials that you're going to take a break from, from time to time as well, <laughs> uh, website, everything else, where's the best yeah. place to, to keep up with everything? Yes. Well, the website is sarahbragg.com, S-A-R-A-H-B-R-A-G-G.com. And then Instagram is Sarah W. Bragg. I guess there was already a Sarah Bragg when I, when I launched, but Sarah <laughs> W. Bragg over there. And of course, Surviving Sarah is the podcast. Now, how did you originally get into podcasting in the first place? Where, where was the interest there? Yeah. Well, you know, I started over seven years ago. Wow. So that was like, I kind of feel like a, a grandmother in the podcasting world. <laughs> um, but you know, I've always loved to, I'm a verbal processor, have always loved to talk, love to connect with people. And, um, and when I had kids, when they were little, I was already a writer, but I just couldn't even form like words together to make sentences happen. Like it just, I was just so tired. There was no creativity in that way. And um, as I was starting to, to like come up for air when my youngest was four, um, podcasting was kind of new on the scene. And I had a couple of friends that were, had stepped into this whole podcasting thing. And I thought, well, that sounds fun. Like I could just talk to people like, and like think about, oh, what do I need help with? Let me bring on some great people that basically free therapy, right? And, um, and that's what I started doing. I just started um, having conversations with people to help survive, you know, relationships, myself, my work, all of those things, all the points of our life that sometimes we feel tension. I just wanted to bring people on to help, I don't know, speak wisdom into that. And so that's kind of where the show started was way back then, just wanting to talk to people, right? <laughs> <laughs> how, how has the game changed over those seven years? Oh, very much so. I remember the first year for sure. Um, 
there was no, this was not a, a marketing arm, you know, of publishers or of any kind of thing. Um, it was just me going, I just want to talk to this person. That sounds great. I'm going to reach out to that person. And so now it has really become such an arm of um, getting the word out for what, you know, people like me, what we're doing and what we're, what we're about. Um, it's definitely, I think in 2020, I think I read this right, that a million new podcasts launched in wow. 2020. That's a lot, That's you a know, lot. So I, the, you know, where there used to be easier to be seen or, you know, there's so many more people at the table. And so, um, that's been a wild thing to see the growth in that there is no shortage of things to listen to. That's for sure. Um, so it has changed a lot in the last seven years for sure. How can you equate what it has meant for you on the professional side to how it has mm -hmm. helped in the marketing as well? Oh yeah. Well, and even just getting published alone, you know, starting the podcast, um, I hadn't even started pitching of writing a book yet. And, um, but giving myself this voice you know, weekly voice into people's lives, um, definitely set me up for the next step in my professional career of writing. Um, and, and, and I, th I do, this is just a strong, um, arm of marketing. I think it's needed. I think there's a lot of great books and um, artists that are creating work that this is the, a great way to get it out for what they're doing. Um, and so I definitely think if you're looking to, you know, create something, I think podcasts have to be on your list of, you know, things to consider, whether you're just going to go on as a guest or you're going to launch one. I know years ago, I started another podcast called Raising Boys and Girls, and I did that for a couple of years and then they, they moved on to the next thing. But it was that same idea. They had this book and I was like, let's create a podcast that goes hand in hand with this book. And not many people were doing that at the time. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm seeing that more and more that if you're putting out a book, there's usually a podcast that is going along with it. So I definitely think podcasting is such a like key piece into launching something that you're doing. That's true. Well, Sarah, I appreciate you uh, sharing your time with us today, taking some time out of your schedule, talking about the book, talking about moms taking a smoke break, and that is not the literal smoke break. That's though. right. That's right. We should have had some candy cigarettes together while we were sitting here. <laughs> I didn't even think of it. <laughs> well, Sarah, I, again, appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again real soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes, located at 313 Falcon Road in Altus. If you ever have a question or something you'd like to know, give them a call at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. They've always got the latest hardware, the largest selection of disposable flavors in Southwest Oklahoma, plus don't miss out on Wacky Wednesdays. That's at Smiley's Breezy Vapes, 313 Falcon Road in Altus. Now, we've seen a few world records fall at the Olympics this week, but here's the type of record you don't want to break. A 28-year-old guy in Oregon named Nathan Danzuka may have set a world record for the world's drunkest driver. He got pulled over in February for a hit and run, and when the cops told him to get out of the car, he took off, but didn't get far. He only made it a half mile down the road before crashing into a concrete barrier, and his blood alcohol level was .778, or almost 10 times the legal limit. Now, he was just back in court and got 13 months in jail for it. 
The judge also suspended his license for life. Now, obviously, Guinness doesn't hand out records for drunk driving, but the website The Smoking Gun covers a lot of these stories, and they say it's the drunkest driver they've ever seen. Their previous record of .72 was held by a woman who also lived in Oregon. Back in 2007, she was found unconscious in her car after plowing into a snowbank. I do want to thank you for joining us for this 120th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, question, anything else you'd like to know, you can hit me up on the contact page, gqwithcam.com. You can also find me on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at gqwithcam. If you have a special guest idea, email me, gqwithcam at gmail.com. Well, thanks again to our good friend, Brandon Allen. We're going to let him play us out of here. Hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll be back. Got some great episodes and guests lined up next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Mm-hmm.